Okay, we're in Romans chapter 4. Um, it's verses 13 through 25, and I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's read it. Now, let me just say this. If I, if I start reading, it's going to be on the screen. If I start reading and somewhere in the middle of this, you just like take a mental vacation, you're like somewhere like Tahiti on the beach, that's just because you're human. It doesn't mean you don't love God, you don't love his word. Just come back. Just don't stay there, right? Just take, take the 30-second break, come back. And if you also hear this and go, I have no idea what that's about, that's my job, right? So when I'm done reading this, we'll break it down. Here we go. Romans chapter 4. Starting in verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That might be one we come back to, maybe circle that, whatever. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Anybody here, like, moving towards that journey? Wake up in the mornings, you're like, oh, there's something creaking again, right? Like he was as good as dead, close to 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb, his wife, was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded, this is another one's verses just to highlight, he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. God, we need your help. Because that is a lot. And there's a lot of stuff in there that makes us scratch our heads. And like I'm not even sure what that means, but Paul's talking like it's important. And so, God, help us in the next few moments to fully appreciate what we just read. In Jesus' name. Amen. While you're sitting down, tell the person next to you, God help Paul. Now, um, I mentioned origin stories, and so um, we're going to take a bit of a detour. If you've if you got a Bible, physical Bible, or you got a, on your phone, go ahead and, and flip back to or scroll back to Genesis or scroll up to Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis 15. This is why origin stories matter. Because sometimes we can live in such a way that we forget why or how we got to where we are. This, uh, Wendy and I, we have, and she introduced me to this app. It's a fantastic app called Lectio 365. Um, that sounded really smart when I said it, right? Um, it's just, uh, if, you, if, you're, 
If you're following the way of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus, you've, you may have heard like words like um, daily office. It's like these spiritual disciplines that we do every day. And so Lectio 365, you can look that up in the app store. Um, it literally has a morning devotion and an evening devotion. Kind of follows the same format, different scriptures, um, different observations. But it just kind of helps you get started in the day and it helps you end the day with Thanksgiving. Anyway, all that to say, this morning... I'm sitting there with my coffee, I'm listening to, I'm lectioing, or however you say it, and I'm listening to this guy talk, and then Wendy was at the same time with her coffee, you know, we do it separately, and then we talk about it. Um, anyway, this is way more than they need to know. I'm so sorry, Wendy. She needs people to sit with her. She needs the support. She came out, I was like, did you listen to that? And she said, yes, and he talked about, make sure I get this right, it's a German town called Hernhut. Um, I'm not, I don't mean to call people out, but John Ball will know this story right away. I guarantee it. So Hernhut is a small town in Germany, and today is the anniversary, basically, of the birth of the Moravian Church. Today. Here's the story. They had to flee. They were, they were driven out. This group was driven out from their land, and they found this place that they named Hernhut. They were given the land by um, Count Zinzendorf. That's a great name. That's a guy that had a beard, right? Zinzendorf had a beard. Yeah, so they're given this land. They build a little, like, village for themselves, and the first five years that they lived together, it almost fell apart. They, they squabbled, they fought, they were at, they were at each, of each of those throats. Any family members are like, yeah, I can relate to getting, sometimes you get close and you get too close and you're like, leave. And, and what changed it all was Count Zinzendorf, who was 22 when they started it, so he'd have been 27 at this point, he calls them to his chapel. He's not a priest, he's just, he calls them to his chapel and he tells them to repent. He basically says, Get your act together, stop fighting, and repent. And guess what they did? They repented. Two weeks later, which is today, August the 27th, this is in the 1700s, they started praying, and they didn't stop for 100 years. So today, Hernhut, Germany, is home to 3,500 people. You think Albemarle small? 3,500 people. Like, we talk about being a one stoplight. They, don't, they might not even have a stoplight. They're just like, I'll wait while you go. <laughs> hey, neighbor, that town birthed the Moravian movement as we know it. John Wesley became who he was because he interacted with the Moravians, and so the entire Methodist church birthed out of this town. They sent missionaries to almost every country in the world out of that town because they repented. And I was reading that, and I'd already known that we were going to take a detour back into Genesis because Genesis 15 is part of Abraham's origin story. The story that we just read that Paul's kind of given the highlights, and we're like, what does it even mean? When you go back to Genesis 15, the story that we're going to read there is going to help us understand Romans chapter 4. And without knowing his origin, we it's like, you know, this is what we do. We read that stuff and go, it sounds important. Did anybody see Nemo? Finding Nemo? Yeah. Remember the part where they're on the turtle 
And Nemo's dad goes, I feel like he's trying to say something, but I don't know what it is. You know, that's how we feel sometimes with Scripture. Like, it's in the Bible. I think it's important. I have no idea what it means. Like, all this stuff about, like, crediting it as righteousness and believing. And why, did, why was he so worried about, like, he was almost 100. Like, what does that even mean, father of all the nations? So back in Genesis 15, let's, let's see if we can figure this out, understand exactly what he's saying to us. And I just want to highlight one at the end, one specific verse in here that God just like, that's the one, Paul. I need you to talk about that. So Genesis chapter 15, God's going God's to gonna create a covenant with Abraham. In, in this chapter, his name is actually Abram because God's going to change his name a few chapters later. But at this point, you got to go back to Genesis 12. So God has already called Abram. He's already given him a calling. Said, look, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations, right? So whatever I do in you doesn't stay with you. It goes through you, and I'm going to bless all the nations. That was Genesis 12. He's, he's still walking with God. He's left the land that he knows. He's going to a land that he doesn't know. He doesn't even know where he's supposed to go yet. He's just walking literally with God. God says, stop here. He stops here. God says, go. He goes until God says, this is the place. And in Genesis chapter 15, after, after God has used Abram to rescue Lot, maybe you heard of Lot's wife. She was very salty. You're welcome. <laughs> I won't read the whole chapter, but let's start with the first verse. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. You're very great reward. That's really important because sometimes we get, we think the promise is our reward, but God who has promised Abram that he's going to do amazing things through him reminds him that I am your reward. Me. Not the stuff I'm going to do. Me. He's promised him that he will have New, countless descendants, right? The word of the Lord came to him. This man, because he said, look, you told me I'd have a son, but I don't have any sons, and my slave is going to take all of my possessions. He's going to get my inheritance. And God said, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, for he's not coming from, for a son is coming from your own body. He will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And this is the verse, verse 6, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Righteousness means right standing, okay? So if you've ever had a friendship, you had a relational spat, and then you got together, like your relationship was kind of unrighteous because things weren't right. And then you get together, you talk, you make things right. That's righteousness. Righteousness is how we stand before God. And when it says he was, it was credited to him as righteousness, why did God look at Abram and say, you are righteous? It's not hard. Here's the answer. Because he believed him. He believed God. God said, look up at the stars, old man. Count them if you can still see them. 
You'll have more offspring than that. And then Abraham, Abraham looks at his body. He's like, see, this is where it goes back to, to Romans 4, right? He faced the fact. Wow, that's a lot of stars. Wow, that's a lot of wrinkles. I don't know how you're going to pull that off through this body. I remember going to the gym, but phew, it's not working. He faced the fact that he was as good as dead, and he believed. Okay, God, I'm looking at me, and I don't know how, but I'm looking at you, and I know you, and somehow. And because he responded that way, the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness. So he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, depending on your translation, go get a cow. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all these things to him cut them in, in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. This is, the way, this is the way that they would make a covenant in the Old Testament. They would get animals, they would cut them in half, they would lay the bloody half on one side and the, another bloody half on the other side. They would kind of create this, like, pathway. It's gross, right? I mean, it's not as gross as, like, school lunch, but it's gross. They would, it was called cutting the covenant, cutting the blood. And so there were two types of, of um, covenants. Y'all good? I don't want to lose you here. But there were like bilateral covenants. Are you feeling smarter already? And there were unilateral covenants. And here's all this. All it meant was if it was a bilateral covenant, both parties had to do something to keep the covenant. And if it was a unilateral covenant, it was all on one to do. And the way that you knew it was unilateral versus bilateral was when you cut the animals in half and you made the pathway, if it was on you, if you were making the covenant, you had to walk between that. I don't know why. I'm sure some scholar knows. But I don't know why they had to walk through this bloody path, but I know Jesus had a lot of blood on the cross. We have to walk through Jesus. Maybe that's it, right? So, but I just know that when they walked the path, what they were saying was, and this was the symbolism, if I don't keep this covenant, May my future be like that. That's literally what it meant. If I don't keep my word, kill me. How many are glad we don't do that today? Can you imagine going to the bank to get a mortgage? Like, uh, yeah, we'd be happy to help you. Um, get the cow, right? And they're like, you, you, wait, you want me to, I, I can sign something. But you want me to walk through this? Yeah, because we, we need you to know that if you don't pay us back, this is what will happen to you. There'd be less cars bought. We'd be saving cash, right? Like, I will give you the money for it. Like, no more house. I mean, it's, it's serious. I just want to make sure you get how serious this was. So Abram does this. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in half, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey, everybody say birds of prey. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Highlight that verse because we're going to come back to that one. 
Because here's what God told me. There are birds of prey after the promise. And Abram set it all up. He did everything God said to do. And then birds of prey came to take the very thing that he had put in place. Came to take the promise. This sounds very familiar. I, I think Jesus told a parable about throwing out seed. And as soon as people, as soon as the seed would hit the ground, birds would come and snatch it. And take it away. Listen, church, I'm telling you right now, God's giving you some promises. And birds of prey want to come steal it. We'll come back to that. He, okay, it is good. As the sun was getting, as the sun was, as the sun was setting, sorry, Abram took, to, fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They'll be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Who made a covenant? The Lord. And said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. And then names all the people that are in the land that he's going to get. I want you to notice this. The Lord passed through the pieces, but who did not? Abram. Have you ever slept through something really important? Like woken up, looked at your clock, your phone, and realized, oh, snap. I'm like, I should be at the office by now, and I just got up, right? Um, Or even worse, been dead asleep, and somebody called you to remind you of something you forgot? You know, like wiping this, the drool off your mouth as you get ready, put, you know, brush your teeth, whatever. We, Abram slept through something really important. Not to be super morbid here, but I think probably the most important thing I ever slept through was my mom dying. Because she had had an aneurysm. And we were at the hospital from the Friday after Thanksgiving until the next Monday when she passed. And so all of us, all the kids, we're all there. We're all in the room. We're all around her bed. If you've, if you've been through this, you know what that's like. Like, I didn't want to go use the bathroom because I don't want to miss the moment that inevitably is coming. And I, if I remember right, I think I do. I think that... When my mom finally took her last breath, Wendy was the only one in the room that was awake. Or, yeah, you and Ryan, in-laws. And we were like, when we found out, we were so mad. Like, oh, what? We, uh, and I remember Wendy saying, I think your mom just wanted to make sure her kids were asleep and good. And then she was gone. I read this story, and I think sometimes... The best things happen when we're asleep. Sometimes God does his best work when we're asleep. And do you want to know why? Because we can't take any credit for it. 
we wake up from our slumber and go, when did that happen? What, you, did, you did that? Can you imagine Abram setting that out, knowing there, he knew what it meant. He knew they were going to cut a covenant. He knew this was important. And in that day, there was nothing more important than this. And then falling asleep. I don't know if you've ever tried not to fall asleep. I think maybe today some of you are trying not to fall asleep. And credit for trying, right? I have because I've, been, I've done church work my whole life, right? So I've been the youth pastor that was out late with teenagers until like the wee hours of Saturday morning, what well, would have been Sunday morning. And then you come in and the pastor who is your boss starts preaching and you're nodding off on the front row in the introduction. And it's like, oh, I'm going to get fired today because I'm going to end up just curled over, sucking my thumb like with a blanket. I mean, there's no way I'm going to make it through the service. I picture Abram like trying not to go to sleep as he's waiting. I've got it ready for you, God. I'm just trying not to. I'm trying to. Right? And he wakes up to see the fire passing through. And I just think God was saying like, none of this is on you. What I'm going to do through you, what I'm going to ask you to do, none of it hinges on you. Back to the birds of prey. I hope this makes sense for you. It does for me. We, we protect the promise, but God fulfills it. Make sure you get this. We have a part to play in this. We protect the promise, but God fulfills it. So Abram sets all this out, and then birds of prayer are coming. And what if he had just said, um, well, God, you, you said you would do it, so I'll just, I'll just sit back and you take care of it. There would have been nothing for God to pass through because the birds of prayer would have taken it. I will say this, that in, in the church today, there are promises that God is faithful to fulfill, but we haven't kept our watch. We haven't, we haven't chased away the birds of prey. We've said things like, I guess this is the way it will always be in my family. Well, if, if you love me, God, you'll take care of that. And he's like, drive that stuff away. Keep making a space where I can come and fulfill the promise. The promise isn't fulfilled by you, but you've got, somebody's got to protect it. Somebody's got to say that's not what God meant. That's not what he wants to do. That's not the promise that he gave us. We have to be the ones that rush off the birds of prey. And that's what Abram did. So when, when the Lord makes the covenant with Abram, you go back now to Romans 4. That's why... Abram was able to believe God. That's why he said, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's why against all hope, he could face the fact and still have faith. Let's just get really practical. Christians don't do well facing facts. Christians take the verse about calling things that are not as though they were and 
one, boy, I hope you're okay with this. Like, just, just challenge your theology a little bit. That's not a statement about you. It's a statement about God. Abram believed the God who calls things that aren't as though they were. So we take that and go, well, I, I can do that. It doesn't say that, right? Yeah. And then what we do is we, we do that backwards. We, um, God calls things that aren't as though they were. We call things that are as though they weren't. Let's make sure we get this, okay? And then we'll, we'll pray. I won't keep you much longer. I want to make sure you get this. You've seen this. If you've been in church long, especially if you've been like in maybe Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith churches, you've seen this. I'm healed. No, you're sick. 100% verifiable sick, and whoever just coughed on might be as well. But God heals. See, God calls things that aren't as though they were. We, we tend to call things that are as though they aren't. I'm okay saying this to you, and if it really bothers you, we have to get a different church probably, but that's wrong, y'all. That makes you a laughingstock to people that don't follow Jesus. Because they're like, yeah, I, I'm still paying student loans from my medical degree, and I can guarantee you that that's not a good cough, and you are sick. No, 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 I'm just catching a healing. You don't catch very well, right, because you missed that one. We're so afraid to say the truth when it doesn't line up with what we think the truth should be. We don't do what Abraham did. He faced the fact that he was as good as dead and against all hope in hope believed, which means that Abraham and Sarah a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that, right? Like, if you ever saw your grandparents kiss, you're like, oh, I don't, please just stop talking right now, Paul. Their conversation had to be something like, I don't know how. I'm not sure I remember how. I, but somehow, you're going to have a kid. And Sarah's like, with you? <laughs> I don't think so. Like God puts us in impossible situations to prove that all things are possible with God. And we try to pray ourselves out of those impossible situations to prove that we're really good Christians. I don't receive that death in Jesus' name. I have the body of a 20-year-old. And people are like, I mean, I think you're trying to flex, but you can't flex. There's literally nothing to flex. We have to stop being the people that turn our brains off because we believe God. Because he never called us to that. He actually said, I'm so true. I'm so right. I'm so 
good that you can look at that thing that looks like it's completely opposite of what I promised, and you can still believe that I'll do it. And that's what Abraham did. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to see the facts, face the facts, and in that place still believe. Yet he did not waver, it says in Romans 4. Through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And the Bible says at the end of Romans 4, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness, because he was fully persuaded that God could do what he said he would do. Bring this full circle to us, because we're not in the Old Testament. I don't think we are, right? What does this mean for us? A commentary wrote this, this passage encourages New Testament believers that God affirms solemnly that he will fulfill his promise concerning salvation and all the blessings that pertain to that life. Despite opposition, suffering, and even death, he keeps his promises. I was thinking about this just in healing, and then we'll, we'll pray. If, if you're sick, God can heal you. No, no, let's rephrase. If you're sick, God will heal you. I've, I've done church long enough to know that if I, for what I'm getting ready to say next, some people will at me and tell me that I don't have faith. But sometimes that healing happens there. I'm okay if that makes you bristle a little bit. Do you know what sets us apart as Christians, as followers of Jesus? Not everybody has that promise. There's no healing in hell, y'all. Y'all okay with that? I mean, are you okay with me saying it? <laughs> we should not be okay with that. There's no healing in hell. So when I, if I'm on my sick bed that is going to turn into my deathbed, I'm moving towards the fulfillment of a promise, y'all. Because I follow Jesus, not even follow, I trust Jesus. We're starting to use the word, I'm apprenticing under Jesus. We're becoming like Jesus. We have given our lives fully to following the ways of Jesus. And because I've done that, y'all, I have that hope. Well, I'd like you to do it right here, right now, but I know you're going to do it. Because there is no sickness in heaven. But if I'm on my sickbed turning into my deathbed and I'm not trusting in Jesus for my eternal salvation, y'all, I don't get that hope. Well, well I'll, I'll just die. People talk about hell like it's a party, y'all. It's not. I don't have firsthand experience, although I have been to Arkansas. I'm kidding. If you're from Arkansas, I, I meant to offend you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't really. But y'all, people that don't like church, I've heard people actually say, like, I'd rather go to hell than be in heaven with Christians. Well, that's sad for a couple reasons. Number one, I bet the Christians they know are the kind of people that would make you make a statement like that, right? Like, that's legitimately true. But it also means they don't really understand what hell's about. 
I'm asking us, like, let's get this part right. Let's be the church that can see the hard thing and still believe in a good God. And this is really important because how many of you have from time to time said to God, thank you for getting me through the last election cycle? I know I have. Fairly unscathed. And then, like, I get on um, the app that used to be known as Twitter, and I'm like, oh, God, I know you already know this, but there's another election cycle coming. Thank you for getting us through that season when it felt like everybody wanted to hit each other. And then I realized, oh, there's worse coming. And I feel like my job as your pastor is to get us ready So full circle back to the Moravians spending five years wanting to kill each other. And finally a man said repent, and they did. And that led to all the things that have come out of that community. Yeah, we got to get ready. We got to get ready because there's stuff coming that's not going to be good. And if that bad stuff shakes our faith in a good God, we've, we've got time now to repent and get right. See, God, strengthen our faith. Give us the faith of Abraham to just believe you will do it, even if we can't see it. All right, I want you to stand up. Sorry, I I mean, I just talked way too long, I'm sure, today. We don't do this often um, in our church. We don't do benedictions a lot. But I want to give you, I want to benedict you today. A benediction is just like the last thing you remember before we get out of here. Let me read it to you the way I wrote it. As Paul, that wrote Romans, as Paul so often does, he ended his first letter to the Thessalonian church with a flurry of what Mr. John Ball would call go-do's, right? Like when we have meetings and then it's like, okay, what do we need to go do out of this? He ends with a flurry of go-do verses before ending with a powerful reminder of who is really doing the work. I want to close this morning with this benediction over you because each of us have birds of prey to watch for and to fight. But we have to remember that as we protect the promise, we're serving a God who will fulfill it. And this is what Paul wrote about that God. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Lord, I pray over the gathering that we would leave today. Go do all that we're going to do. There's things that we'll do, and there's things that we're going to fight going forward. We're, we're called to that. We're called to do that stuff. This is not a lazy resting in who you are. This is because we know you're good, we're going to fight even harder down here to create a place for you to reveal that goodness. But God, as we do that, I pray that we would rest in the promise that the one who calls us is faithful and he will do it. You didn't make us pass through 
on that path. We didn't make a covenant with you. You made one with us. And we say thank you for it and teach us, God, to walk in it in your mighty name. Amen.